Luke chapter 11, we're going to be going through verses 1 through 13. Luke 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of God. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, it truly is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And even in the foundational issues that we are called to follow, to build our lives on, such as prayer, a familiar verse and verses to us. But Lord, there is so much here that we need to see, that we need to embrace, that we need to obey, that we need to pray. And so, Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. All right. Why is it that some of the easiest things that we're called to do are actually become some of the hardest things to do? Right? Let me give you an example from my own life. Like flossing your teeth, right? Think about that. Flossing your teeth. Most dentists say like, hey, it's probably better for you to floss than it is to brush. Flossing actually takes a little bit, it's shorter than brushing, yet we all brush, but probably hardly any of us probably floss every single day. Let me see if we got any flossers in here. Go ahead and raise your hand. Oh, way more. Right, right. All right. Again, I said, this is for me. All right, flossing is an easy thing to do, but it's hard. Another thing for me was it took me like 30 years to understand how important changing the oil in my car is. Right? Who's all with me? Look, every three to five months, all you need is 30 minutes to go and get the oil changed, or you can do it yourself. And yet it's so hard to get there to do it, at least for me. Well, in the Christian life, um, the simplest, the easiest thing that we can do as Christians is pray. And yet, sometimes it's the hardest thing for us to do. It's the hardest thing for us to execute. For instance, a couple weeks ago, we were in Luke chapter 10. And I challenge you to follow Jesus' command in Luke chapter 10, verse 2. Do you guys remember what that command was? 
Jesus called us to what? Pray for the laborers to be sent out into the harvest. How many of you guys have executed that prayer, that command of Jesus the last couple weeks? A couple of us. But see, we know that. We know Jesus' command to us. We want to do that, and yet, sometimes it seems so hard. It's been said that if you want to humble a Christian, ask them how their prayer life is. We can all grow in our prayer. And Jesus understands this, and this is why He gives us this portion of Scripture. He understands we, we can struggle sometimes in the easiest things. And so therefore, He teaches us to pray. And He gives us a great pattern, a great guide for us to follow. He makes it easy for us. He shows us the path, the way on how we get our prayers answered, how we get our prayers up into and have the ear of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we're going to see here that this pattern of prayer begins with two petitions. We begin with God's glory, two petitions in God's glory, and then three petitions for our good. So let's look at the first one. Our prayers begin with God's glory. And actually, I kind of I revitalize our prayers should begin with God's glory. Look at Luke 11, verse 1 and 2. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. So this is the fifth time in the, in the Gospel of Luke that Luke has highlighted that Jesus is praying. So almost every other chapter, Luke says, like, Jesus went away to prayer. This was, this was the daily norm for him. Jesus himself needed to be in the presence, engaged with the Father, and he did that primarily through prayer. And that's how we do. Prayer is the greatest gift that God has given you and me for us to have access to the Father. It's what we reach out. Jesus did this and we do this. Jesus engaged God the Father daily and so shall we. Now this prayer is known as the Lord's Prayer. This is how we know it as the Lord's Prayer. But it's really not the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer, Jesus' prayer, is actually in John chapter 17. That's where Jesus is really praying to the Father. This prayer is rightly understood as the disciples' prayer. The disciples' prayer. Why? Because, oh, there's a number of reasons. But one, Jesus never has to ask for forgiveness of sin, but we do because we are sinful. He is not. Uh, this is the disciples' prayer. One of the disciples asked him, teach us to pray. And so Jesus does. Also, real quick, that I also believe that this is a separate incidence than we see on the Sermon of the Mount. Jesus just reiterating again uh, to his disciples in this smaller group to teach them how to pray. So it's different than the, uh, the prayer he gave in Matthew chapter 6, but it's the same prayer pattern that we have. He's just repeating it. And so I want you to understand that. The last thing that's important to point out is that this is really important. This is the only place in Scripture, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, where the disciples ask the Lord to teach them. Now that's kind of mind-boggling when you first hear that. We, 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 don't have that. we don't ever see the disciples saying, hey, Lord, teach us to preach. We don't ever have the, the, the disciples asking, hey, Lord, teach us how to make disciples or how to serve or how to give. But no, it's like, Lord, teach us how to pray. One disciple was watching Jesus. And again, Jesus is deep in his ministry. They see Jesus praying consistently. And he sees that there's something different the way Jesus prays than our religious leaders. He prays a little bit someone like John the Baptist. So he says, Lord, teach us to pray. Now the thing with Jews and these disciples, they prayed all the time. They've been praying since they've been little kids. It's the constant. They were daily had prayers that they had to recite. Uh, not only for the daily prayers, but also for the festivals. And when they went to synagogue, so they, they knew how to pray. 
But there was something still different here. So this disciple says, Lord, teach us how to pray. And so he does. And we see here in 11.2, Jesus answers and says, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name. Now, in Matthew chapter 6, this is one of the differences. Jesus says, uh, when you pray, don't pray like this. So there's actually a wrong way to pray. We're not going to go into it, but in Matthew 6, Jesus says there's a wrong way to pray. And the wrong way is don't pray like a hypocrite and don't babble like the pagans. And I might even add a third one, not thus says the Lord, but what I see as kind of norm here is don't treat God as a genie. And you only talk to him about when you want something. Like Jelly Roll says in the country song, I only pray to God when what? When I need a favor, right? So there's, there's the wrong way. So here's the right way. Again, Jesus said to him, when you pray, you begin with, Father, hallowed be thy name. Again, this is a, a very familiar passage to us. But the way Jesus starts out by saying, you begin your prayers with Father, would have been earth-shattering to the average Jew back then. This is a massive shift in the relationship, the story of redemption between God's people and God. Because in the Old Testament, the word God, or the word Father, and, and God seen as a Father only happens 15 times in the Old Testament. Never in prayer. In fact, if you guys look at it and remember the Old Testament system, when we look back into Exodus, the whole thing about the people of God and God the Father is that the people are sinful, God is holy. And so the temple was even laid out to say, when you approach God, be cautious. There's certain things that you have to do to get into the presence of God. And in fact, you're never going to get into the very holies of holies with the presence of God because he's too holy. You are too sinful. And so they begin prayers like Nehemiah did when we looked at Nehemiah. Oh, Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God. That's how they began their prayers with the, the transcendence of God, the, the holiness of God, the sovereignty of God, the otherness of God, which is good. But they never began with Father. That was the Old Testament. The New Testament, God talked about as Father happens over 245 times. Jesus talks about God as Father 160 times plus in the Gospels. And so you have this massive shift when Jesus says, you start with Father, our Father. The Old Testament, the fatherhood of God, was not as emphasized as much. It was emphasized. One of my favorite passages is in Hosea where it talks about God as a good father and how he leads his people with cords and kind of, of love and gospel kindness like a child. But in the New Testament, it has become central. Jesus is saying, this is how you approach God. Now, the veil has been torn because of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. The veil has been torn from top to bottom. We have access to God the Father, and we can approach him like a bold child. The word father here in the Greek is, is father, parter, but then also in Aramaic, it's Abba. And some have translated it, we sing it, the father or daddy. There's an intimacy here. There's a, a relational closeness that God, yes, is transcendent. He is separate and other, but now he's also seen as imminent. He's, he's close to us. He's a good father. Uh, I, I love uh, having and being a grand, granddaddy. I got... Uh, uh, one, and by God's grace, we'll have more coming down the pike here soon, right? But when JT comes home, when, when daddy comes home, you, you, he, she hears the door open, and she drops whatever she's doing. And she just runs, daddy, 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 dada, dada, dada. She can't say daddy yet. It's dada, dada, dada. And she just runs and gives him a great hug. 
And I'm like, man, I miss those days. Because like when I come home now, I just get the dogs coming to, you know, lick me. <laughs> Which, hey, man, I love dogs. Man's best friend. Absolutely. Or if my kids are home, I walk in, they say, what's up, pops? How you doing, dad? Which is good, because my 24-year-old son, Nate, called me daddy or dad-dad. I'd be like, whoa, bro, we're going to have to have a little talk right now, right? <laughs> but here's the other thing. God's goodness, and this is one of the greatest things about being a granddad. Evie does it to me as well. She didn't call me dad-dad. She calls me pat-pat. And she runs to me when she hears that door open, and it's awesome. Some of you young fathers in here, you, you treasure those moments. You treasure those days when your little kid just drops everything to be in your presence. This is how we are to approach the Lord. With excitement, no fear, we drop everything to be in His presence. Now, I recognize some of you didn't grow up with good dads. I understand that. And when it says for us to address dad as father, it's hard for you to address dad as father because your father was not good. And so let me just encourage you to press in to God as Father. Take those 245 verses and study them, meditate on them, and see the goodness of God as a good Father in your life. And know that He doesn't see you as a nuisance. He doesn't see you as a pain in His side. He doesn't see you um, as worthless. But the God of heaven, as your Father, He, He loves you. He sings over you with joy and gladness, as Zephaniah 3 says. He sings loudly over you. And because of God is a good father in your life and loves you like that, you now have the ability to break the cycle and to teach your children what a loving father is. You are the change agent in your family tree to point to change your family legacy on fatherhood. And all fathers in here, how many fathers do we have in here? Raise your hand. Yeah, those who you want to be fathers, go ahead and raise your hand as well. Let me speak to you just for a second. I heard this great quote, and it's just a, a great reminder of me. It says that God shares his role of fatherhood with us. God shares his role as fathers with us. You see, being a father is not a right. It's a privilege. It's a privilege that God bestows upon us. Children are a gift of God. It's a privilege for us to be a father. It's a privilege for us to be the leaders of our home, the head of our household, and lead and guide and direct our wives, and in particular, our kids. And, and what we need to do is we, part of our job is to show and point our children to the good father, that they should look at us and feel and experience the, the characteristics of a heavenly father in their earthly father, so that when they grow up, there's a natural progression. When we say that God is good, that they, they, they say, yes, God is good. They can attest to that. So love and encourage and lead and correct your children with the grace and truth of the gospel. So that, that when they hear you walk through the door, they think of comfort and not condemnation. They think of security and not suffering. They think that you're their biggest fan and not their biggest critic. They think of love and not danger. They think to run to you and not run from you. Be a good father. This is how we begin our prayers. Father, our father. Then it says we hallowed be your name. What does that mean? I mean, how, hallowed. Who, who used the word hallowed in the last, I don't know, 20 years in here? Anybody? Like it's an unfamiliar word to us. And what does it mean? Hallowed be thy name. It, it refers to God's name as glorious. God's name equals his character. And so when we say hallowed his name, when we hear God the father, we think of his 
His goodness, His grace, His mercy, His loving kindness, His steadfast love, His holiness, His righteousness, His sovereignty, His power. It's like when we hear God the Father, all those attributes and characteristics should pop up. Been studying the book of Revelation and, and we're in chapters four and five, I'm looking at it possibly going to be our next New Testament book that we go through. And I was just mesmerized that 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 the Holy Spirit gives John, he 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 peels away the physical realities and gives him a glimpse and takes him up into the throne room in the spiritual realities, in the unseen realm. And what does John see? He sees God the Father sitting on the throne. He sees these crazy creatures and these other you know, saints praising and worshiping God. And they're all singing. They're all praying. They're all saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Listen, if the Holy Spirit chose to do that right now, that's the scene that we would see right now. It just wasn't a one-time event for, for John in the heavens. It's happening right now in the unseen realm. And so when we come together, and when we pray, and when we sing, singing is a form of praying. I don't know if you know that, but when you're singing, you're praying. So if you're just standing there in the words and we're singing the gospel, like, oh, my soul, arise. Are you kidding me? If you're not singing, you need to check your heart and understand who God is. Because our prayers and our song are, are joined with those, the hosts of heaven, worshiping God. That's who we are singing to. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And so this is amazing. Hallowed be thy name. Not only is he our father, nor is he relational and with us, but he's also, yes, he's transcendent. It's an incredible picture. And so this is where we begin. Calvin rightly said, when we give honor to God as he deserves, we should never think of him without the highest reverence. We approach him, yes, with a humility, and with a reverence and a respect. So we address him as Father. We honor his holy name. Verse 2 says, your kingdom come. Oh man, is, if there's ever a petition or prayer request we need to be saying right now, is it not this? Is it not this right now and today as we look at our world? Let me ask you a question. Is our world getting better or is it getting worse? Scripture constantly over and over again says, hey, this world is in a constant downroll spiral. It's getting worse and worse. So what does it look like to pray your kingdom come? Well, it's twofold. One, I believe it does have an eschatological kind of bent to it, meaning that it, the, the focus is that we do pray for Christ's second coming, for him to come and to set up and fulfill in its fullness the kingdom of God, his rule and reign fully realized in the new heavens and the new earth. That's just it. We definitely want to be praying for that. We want to be praying in Revelation 22 how, how, how John ends Revelation. Jesus says, surely I'm coming soon. And the Apostle John is like, yeah, Lord, come. Right? He's like pleading, come now. Come, Lord Jesus. And that's what we pray. We, we pray with John. Come, Lord Jesus. Bring your kingdom. Eradicate sin. Eradicate suffering. Eradicate death. We want your kingdom to come. So it does mean that. But more practically for us, it also means that until that happens... That you and me as ambassadors of the king are to bring heaven to this world. Our lives, our words, our action are to bring heaven. I love how one says it. He says this, we live in between two spiritual realities. We live between heaven and hell. And we can either bring heaven down or we can bring hell up. 
And as we look around our world, what is, tends to be happening? A lot of it seems to be a lot of people bringing hell up. And this is where God has put us in this world to be light in the darkness, to bring heaven down. We are to be great ambassadors of the kingdom of God. What does that look like? Well, it looks like this, that we're ambassadors of love and not hate. That we're ambassadors of grace and not law. That we are ambassadors of obedience and not disobedience. That we are ambassadors of unity and not disunity. We are ambassadors of generosity and not greed. We are ambassadors of the gospel, the message of the kingdom of God. That's what leads. That's what guides. That's what directs us. We are the people of God who bring the characteristics and the fruit of God down from heaven to earth. There's just so much more we could go into, but this just sets the tone, does it not? Sets the tone as we say, Our Father, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. This is how we begin our prayers, and as we do this, it builds confidence and hope so that we know when we pray, our prayers will be answered. Why? Because get this, because our confidence is always to be measured against the capacity of the agent that is answering our prayers. That's why we pray. Because of Who God is. He is a sovereign, holy, righteous, all-powerful Father. And He can answer your prayers and my prayers. Our confidence is always to be measured against the capacity of the God who answers our prayers. That's how we begin. We begin with God's glory. Then that informs the second point. Our prayers petition God for our good. We pray for our good. That's good. 11, 3 through 13. He says, give us. And just, just, just stop right there. Give us. <laughs> Here we are. And we approach this holy, sovereign God. And we say, "Not, hey, Lord, will you please maybe, you know, help us out here? No. Boldness, confidence, give us. It's just as a young child is going to their father, like, give us. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. You see, it's good and right for us to pray and ask God to meet all of our needs. Philippians 4 says in everything by prayer and supplication, make all your requests be named known to God. All of them. There's no right or wrong request that you can make. You make them all to God. But notice here. It doesn't say give me my daily bread. Forgive my sins. Lead me not in temptation. But in fact, all the pronouns are plural. It's our. It's we. It's us. Why? Because we're all created in the image of God and we all need the same things. Physically and spiritually. Now, we don't all live the same life, so the context of our prayers changes. But we all physically and spiritually need the same thing. So this is why there's a corporateness to this. There's a corporateness to this prayer. We all need our daily bread. We all need forgiveness or sin. We all need not to be guided into temptation, right? But then we pray specifically how that works out in our own lives, in our own context. So let's look at one. First, give us each day our daily bread. This is provision. Give us each our daily bread. This is a petition for daily dependence. And bread is the most basic thing of need. Food is the most basic thing that we need to survive physically. But this encompasses everything physically for us to survive. He just chooses to highlight bread to be the one that he highlights. But this is a petition for daily dependence. I think this is one of the hardest prayers for us to pray. And probably one of the least prayers that we ever pray. 
is for our daily dependence. Because we live in America. We live in a place of, Roy, it's an embarrassment of riches and the blessings of how God has answered this prayer, right? I mean, think about this. When was the last time you wondered where your next meal was coming from? I'm 52 years old. I can't remember ever having that thought cross my mind. Can you? It's just, it's an abundant blessing of God. I mean, in our fridge, we have two weeks, three weeks, four weeks worth of food, right? I mean, we're blessed. Most of us don't have just one refrigerator. We got two or three refrigerators and freezers stocked up with food, right? And that's that's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. We're not like the Exodus where they had to, in the Exodus, they had to pray daily for their food and God provided for them daily. Again, it's it's a prayer of dependence. And this is tough for us as Americans because we are so independent, right? And this is one, I think, one of the good, if, if there's any good thing that came out of COVID, this is one of the good things that did come out of COVID. It showed us how fragile our life really is. It showed us how dependent we really are. It humbled us, did it not? And all of a sudden, it woke up the church because we started to believe our own press clippings, like, hey, I can do this kind of on my own, right? It's like, no, we're dependent on the Lord for even our meals. And so this is a good reminder. So for most of us, it was a wake-up call to get to praying, Lord, I'm dependent on you physically for everything. So, Lord, give us our daily bread. The next petition we have is also vital to our lives as well, that we pray to be a people of forgiveness. Uh, If if the first P for daily bread was provision, this is pardon. We pray for pardon. Uh, I love this quote. Just as we need daily bread so that we can live, we need daily forgiveness so that we might live in freedom and joy and peace in all of our relationships. Now, when it's talking about forgiveness here, it's not talking about salvation. We don't need to keep asking God for forgiveness to be resaved. Once saved, always saved. Once we repent and trust in Christ, we're addressing God as Father. Nothing can snatch us out of our hand. This is talking about relational peace, relational forgiveness. This is talking about sanctification, uh, uh, talking about keeping our, our relationships free from the strain of sin and strife. It's like in your family. Think about this, this illustration. It's like in your family, uh, when one of your children sins, And they keep on sinning, but they come to you and confess their sins. And again, when they confess their sins, they're not not confessing to to be a part of the family still, right? You know, when my kids sin, they're still a Santini, always have been, always will be. And sin doesn't change that. We're in the family. Again, this is sanctification. But if they keep sinning, they keep rebelling, there's going to be a strain in the relationships in the family dynamics. This is what he's talking about. This is why we need to keep short accounts with God and confess our sin because unconfessed sin, unrepented of sin affects and ultimately destroys relationships. It brings in frustration. It brings in bitterness. And ultimately, if it keeps on going, it will break and destroy relationships. But sin loses its power when it's confessed of, when it's repented of, and when it's forgiven. It loses its power. And what happens in that relationship is freedom exists. Restoration exists. Restoration exists. The gospel thrives and is highlighted. So that's the, they keep short accounts with one another. And so confession of sin keeps us humble and dependent on the forgiveness that we receive from God. Again, which translates us to extending that forgiveness 
This is part of what it means to bring heaven down. Forgive one another. Who do you need to forgive in your life right now? Who are you holding a grudge against? Forgive. Almost every week at the cross, and you heard me say it this morning, we talk about our vertical relationship with God informs all of our horizontal relationships. And what I, this is a perfect example of what we mean by that. Forgiveness. That because we have been forgiven much from God the Father, the greatest debt that we, that we have sinned, that we, we are forgiven, that means we can extend forgiveness to those who sin against us in a lesser way. If we have been forgiven so great a debt by God Himself, then certainly we can forgive others who are guilty of much lesser a debt towards us. Amen? Simply stated, forgiven people are forgiving people. This is what it looks like to bring heaven down. This is what we pray for. So, pray for provision, pray for pardon, and we also pray for protection. Last petition is, lead us not into temptation. This petition keeps us sensitive to the spiritual battles that we are engaged in. This is actually preemptive, this prayer right here, this petition, this prayer request. It's preemptive. Lead us not into temptation. We know temptation is out there. We know there's an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. We know that he's going to come after us. And so in our time with the Lord, we pray, Lord, help us. Help me get ready. Help me prepare. Help me, as Peter says, gird up the loins so I can fight well. Lead us not into temptation. The Bible tells us temptation comes in two, two ways. It comes externally. It comes from the world. It comes from demons and Satan. So they've been studying you. So they've been watching you. They, they know your tendencies, and they're going to throw trappings in your way so that they think you would step in them. Just like Jesus was being tempted by Satan in Luke chapter 4. So it happens from outside of us, but it also happens from within inside of us. Temptation, our old nature, our old flesh still dwells in us. Yes, we are new creations in Christ, but we still have this old flesh that encompasses us and challenges us. My worst enemy is when I look in the mirror and I see myself, my old man staring back at me. James says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Those are hunting and fishing terms. Just as we try to throw a, you know, a plastic worm and try to get that bass to make it look like it's food. We, we, that's what Satan does. He, he tricks us by putting something out that we like, and then we bite onto it, and he's got us. So we're tempted externally, we're tempted internally. One of my favorite hymns is, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. In fact, it is my favorite hymn. It's just so gospel-centered. But one of the lines is this, Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel that prone to leave the God I love. But here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. As I look at my life, I understand. I know my own tendencies. I know when I start to wonder, it's when I start to entertain temptations. It's when I start to wonder. So I need to pray daily and ask the Holy Spirit to lead and guide me away from the temptations and into obedience and holiness. What temptations are you flirting with right now? What temptations? What what? What is luring you right now, either externally or internally? What do you need to fight with this prayer? How do you need to be preemptive before you step out these doors and you engage this week? So that when it does come your way, when temptation does enter your path, you're there to 
deal with it. You're there to, as we say, when it raises its head, you're there to cut off, cut it off. So, lead us not into temptation. This is the pattern on how we should approach God in prayer. What a great pattern it is, is it not? Is this not an incredible pattern? Again, we've been familiar with it, but hopefully today you've heard something like, oh yeah. But if Jesus is teaching us this pattern and ended here, that would be awesome. That would be great. But he gives us some bonus credits, so to speak. And he gives us this great illustration of this story. He gives us even a a greater desire of why we need to pray. And we pray because we have a good Father in heaven who wants to bless us and give us good gifts. Look at at verse 5. And he said to him, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey. Now it's common back then, it's late, it's midnight, it's late at night. It's common back then that when they traveled, they traveled at night because of the, the heat of the day. It was hot to travel in the Middle East the heat of the day, so a lot of times they traveled at night. That's how, actually, we, we used to travel from Arizona and New Mexico. It's like we'd load up all the kids in the, in the middle of the night, one, so that they could sleep, and two, that I could just not deal with the traffic in the, in the heat of the day and just get there. And so this is what they're doing. It's common for them to travel at night. And they didn't have 7-Elevens back then. They didn't have convenience stores to stop if you were hungry or had to go to the restroom or something like along those lines. And so what you did is you stopped at a friend's house. So there's a man who has a friend who's traveling. He knocks on the door at midnight says, hey, I need some bread. Will you help me? Well, he's out of it. So he goes to his neighbor and this is what happens. He didn't have any. um, And I have nothing to set before him, verse seven, and he will answer from within. So this is the neighbor now going to his neighbor asking for help. And the neighbor says, do not bother me. The door now is shut and my children are with me in my bed. The homes like them were like studio apartments. Everyone was in one room. So if this guy was to get up and he was going to wake up the kids and wake up the family, it was just going to be a miserable night for the rest of the night for him to serve him. So he says, go away. He said, I cannot get up and give you anything. Verse 8, but I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because of his friend, his friendship only goes so far, yet because of his impotence, his shamelessly boldness, his persistence in asking, he will rise and give him whatever he wants. And so one of the points is in here is that we are to be this neighbor who keeps boldly, shamefully asking, knocking on the door. Hey, I need help. I need provision. But we see that there's a contrast with a grumpy neighbor. Now go to verse 9. Then I tell you, Jesus is again still speaking. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. These are three commands, three verbs. And really in the present tense, present tense imperative. So that means keep on asking, keep on knocking, keep on you know, seeking. This is a lifestyle. This is not a one-time event of noise, but keep on doing this throughout your life. For everyone who asks receives, and whoever seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be open. And here's that. This is, this is the main point, though. Not us knocking, asking, and seeking. That's a main point, but this is the main point that Jesus is getting across. What father among you, if asked for a fish, will instead give him, uh, instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, just in general, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. I mean, we all know that. Everyone, whether you know Jesus or not know Jesus, when you take your kid to McDonald's and you give him a Happy Meal, you don't take the Happy Meal and you don't put a stone in, you know, in front of, instead of the bun and you give it to your child to eat, right? Because they'll eat the, the, the rock burger uh, and break a tooth. 
And so not only will you break your child's tooth, but you're going to break his heart. Because you did the bait and switch. So even evil fathers don't do that. They give good gifts to their kids. And then this, how much more? How much more will the Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The Holy Spirit is the greatest gift that we can give us because He gives us everything that pertains to life and godliness. But the contrast, see, a lot of people think like, well, yes, we're continuing to ask. Yes, we continue to seek. Yes, we continue to knock. It's our persistence. Yes, yes, yes. We do that. That's our lifestyle. That's what we do. But, the, but the, there's a comparison here that people think there's a comparison between the grumpy neighbor and God. And we see like, we just keep pestering God like he's the grumpy neighbor. But it's not a comparison. It's actually a contrast. That's the main point Jesus is highlighting. He said there's a contrast between the grumpy neighbor and a gracious father. And the gracious father is going to give you what you ask for and what you need. He's going to take care of you. You are not a nuisance to him. It is the joy of God the Father to give good gifts. And he doesn't answer your prayer because you, again, He's at his wit's end of you just knocking and asking and seeking. He just doesn't want to get you out of his hair. No, he's a good father. He's going to open the door and he's going to answer those prayers because he wants to bless his children. So it's not comparison. It's a contrast between a grumpy neighbor and a gracious God. So we come boldly in prayer because, again, God is gracious. And also, just real quickly, um, we don't have time, but I was going to understand. Do you understand and see the Trinitarian foundation to our prayers? That Jesus, God's Son, it tells us to pray to the Father. The reason why we can pray to the Father is because we are saved. Because we've, been, we've repented and trusted in Christ, in His life, His death, in His resurrection. So if you're sitting in here right off the bat, if you're not in Christ, if you haven't repented of your sins and trusted of Him, you can't call God your Father because He is not. But He wants to be. And you can be. And it doesn't matter what you've done in your past, He is calling you to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus and what He has done for you. And when you love God the Father, when you repent of your sins, He will make you a child of the King. So we have Jesus who's the mediator to make us a child of the King so we can call God our Father. And then we see it's the Holy Spirit that leads, guides, and directs us throughout life. Let me just close with this. This is a great prayer. It's a great pattern for us to, to walk by. Jesus is teaching you and me from His own mouth this morning. This is how you pray. This is how you pray. We've all prayed. We all know how to pray. But this, this is how you pray. How, which petitions in here do you do well? That, that you consistently pray for. Keep doing that. Keep doing that. Keep praying in those areas. But then also notice and recognize where can you improve? What petition, petitions do you need to improve on? Again, this is, this is, this is just a great Great pattern for us to exercise daily. There's, we've talked about a lot of great prayer templates that we you know, kind of give you guys to pray through. And one of those is the, the prayer template of Acts, A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. No, that's good. But this is the best. Like I, I, I Just studying this has brought me back to, like, oh, I need to go back to this prayer template. So let me challenge you to apply the disciples' prayer.
as your primary template in prayer from today and here on out. Now, again, there's going to be times where you've got to throw up some short, short, quick prayers, right? There's going to be some times that we saw that in Nehemiah. He got, he got sent right before the king, and he's like, oh, Lord, help me. Pray like that. There's times for that. But when you have time, use this as your prayer template each and every day and see what the Lord is going to do. If we use this as a, a church body, daily prayed through this template, oh, man, tighten that belt because the Lord's going to do something in all of our lives and in this church. And so use the disciples' prayer as you go. And this, what I mean by that is simply this. Father, and then just thank Him for being a good Father in all the ways that He blesses you with good gifts, that He does give you a fish and not a snake. Hallowed be Thy name. Meditate and think on all the ways in which God's characteristics are, are lived out in your life and how He leads, guides, and directs you with His power, His provision. For your kingdom come. As we look at the world, that should, that should inform our prayers and how we pray. And just, and just keep going through each one. Give us this day our daily bread. Great to thank Him for. Yes. Provision. Use that and see what the Lord might do. Amen? Let's pray. Father, Father, in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us not our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, each week...